He's just wandering along down his drive on his mobile phone. He looks up for a second and there's a bear. And he does the normal natural thing that you would do. Leg it as fast as you can away from the bear. He doesn't hang around. He doesn't uh, try and have a conversation with his bear, trying to talk him down. He sees the bear and runs as fast as he can away from the bear. I'm going to come back to that later on uh, in this sermon. But let's pray as we begin. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit which dwells in each of us. And we ask now, Lord, that as you speak to us this morning through your word, that by the power of your spirit you'll be at work in us, causing us to live those holy lives which are honoring and pleasing to you. So be at work, we pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul's been addressing various issues over the last few chapters, and this morning he addresses again um, sexual sin within the church and this urgent need to flee from it. And Paul begins in verse 12, with uh, two slogans that have become popular within the church. I am allowed to do anything. Twice Paul states that I am allowed to do anything. This has become uh, one of the slogans of the Corinthian church. And the second one uh, is food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. The first one, I am allowed to do anything, seems uh, to have taken Paul's teaching um, and misinterpreted what Paul had said. We know that we have freedom in Christ. Yet Paul wants to correct them because they've taken this freedom that they have in Christ to the extremes where anything uh, was allowed because of the freedom that they have in Christ. They took it that because we are free in Christ, because I'm allowed to do anything, then that freedom supports my desire uh, in, in whatever way it needs to be fulfilled. Paul says, yes, you have freedom, but you're abusing that freedom because not everything is beneficial. Everything that we do needs to be evaluated for its spiritual benefit. And so they've taken this freedom to be absolute in every way. And Paul says, be careful, because that freedom that you have, that absolute freedom, could actually enslave you. I must not become a slave to anything. I must not be mastered by anything, says Paul. He's saying you must not be mastered by those sexual desires that you have. And then we get to this second slogan in verse 13. Uh, in the NLT, it breaks it up and it brackets part of it, whereas I, I think it's just one phrase, uh, the way that it reads in the Greek, for the food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. It, it seems that uh, the Corinthians had taken... Uh, this freedom, they'd use these words in this slogan that they'd uh, formulated to mean that sexual pleasure was meant to be enjoyed 
because it was as natural as eating food. Food for the stomach, stomach for the food. They had bought into this idea that the Greek philosophers had come up with at the time that um, the body didn't really matter. The important thing was the soul. That is the thing that mattered most. And yet, Paul responds to this thought by saying, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. The body isn't just matter. It's not some inconvenience that we have to live with. There is value in the body because for the Christian, the body belongs to the Lord. And so the argument of the Corinthians goes, since everything is permitted and since all bodily appetites are much the same, then that must mean the body is for sex and sex is for the body. And all sex is okay because God will destroy them both in the end anyway. But Paul refutes that argument. He refutes that thinking. They've got it completely wrong. He says the body is not made so that you can have all your desires satisfied. But the body is made for the Lord. It is made for the Lord and for his glory. The body is not destined for destruction, but for resurrection, as we'll see in a moment. And so Paul will go on in this passage to show them how the body is important. And we must use our bodies rightly for the glory of God. And so the first thing that Paul points out to them is that the body will be raised by God the Father. Verse 14, and God will raise us from the dead by his power just as he raised our Lord from the dead. This is why the Corinthian Christians should value and see the importance of their bodies and how they use them. It matters how we use our bodies. Because our bodies will be raised from the dead by the power of God just as Christ was raised from the dead. God created our bodies and one day he will resurrect our bodies. Paul will go into more detail on this idea of resurrection in chapter 15. But Paul wants them to see right at the start that God created your bodies and there is value and importance in them. Billy Graham was in Germany at one point and the German chancellor invited him into his office. Uh, and just before uh, they were to sit and, eat, uh, and drink coffee, uh, the chancellor said, young men, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Sorry, that's Billy Graham asking that question. Most certainly I do. So do I. If Jesus Christ is not risen from the dead, there is not one glimmer of hope for the human race. That is the certain hope that we have as Christians. The certain hope of resurrection. Jesus died, but he didn't stay dead. He was resurrected to life. And that is true for us as his people. We will have life eternal. And it won't be uh, 
floating along on the clouds. It will be physical. Our bodies will be raised to be with him forever. And so Paul points out to the Corinthians that in view of the fact that our bodies have such a wonderful origin and that even more wonderfully that they will be raised from the dead, how can they then act in such sinful ways? Paul's saying stop giving in to your sexual desires thinking that it's just another bodily desire that needs to be fulfilled. God created our bodies and he will resurrect them and so use them properly. Secondly, the body has been united with God the Son. Paul continues uh, on this idea of the importance of the body by reminding the Corinthian church that they have been united with Christ. Do you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. The Christian, the believer, is one with Christ. Each of us is a member of Christ. We are in him. That's one of Paul's common phrases throughout his letters, being in Christ. As Christians, we are in Christ. Yet the church at Corinth, the, some of the Christians within uh, the church saw no harm in visiting uh, a prostitute. It was part of ancient culture. Temples would host dinners, and then after the meal, uh, they would be offered uh, a, a prostitute. It wasn't uncommon for men at the end of a working day to visit um, one of those places. And that culture around them was infiltrating the church. And there were groups of people within the church who saw nothing wrong with having uh, that as part of their Christian lives. It's not too far away from our culture today. Everywhere we look, there's something about sex. Everywhere we look. And so Paul reminds them that they belong to Christ. You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you at a high price. And what was that price? It was Christ on the cross. That was the price that he paid to buy us from the slave market of sin. You belong to Christ. You, including your body and what you do with it, belongs to him because we were bought at a price. And so knowing that and being reminded of that, that we belong to Christ, including what we do with our bodies, it should be unthinkable for Christians to uh, use our bodies in such immoral ways. It should be unthinkable for the Corinthians uh, to do what they were doing. Sin is, is sin. Uh, and there's no distinction, ultimately, sin is sin. Yet it seems in this passage 
uh, from Paul this morning that sexual sin is, is in a slightly different category because of the damage that it does to ourselves and to others. And so imagine uh, we've got a sponge ball, a brand new sponge ball, and it's covered in glue. And there's another sponge ball here, and you stick them together. And they stick nice and strong because the glue is, is, is unused. And then you tear them apart. What happens? Bits of the other ball stick to the other ball. And then you move on to a different ball and you stick it and it does the same. And as you go along, the glue loses its stickiness. But there's bits of all those previous uh, balls stuck to that ball. And that's what it's like um, with sexual sin. With sexual relationships of any kind. Don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one with her body. There's a union. And they were united themselves and they're moving on. It creates a bond between people. And Paul says creating those bonds with multiple people is incompatible with a Christian who is united with Christ. And Paul's saying, this needs to be repented of in the church, not celebrated. We know that sexual relations are designed by God for marriage. That quote from Paul, uh, the two are united in one, comes from Genesis. Marriage is a picture of the church's union with Christ. And so Paul says, how can we defile that image? How can we defile that union with this kind of immoral behavior? As Christians, we are united to Christ. We are his. And so it's important that we use our bodies in the right way. Paul goes on. The body is the dwelling place of God, the Holy Spirit. God the Father created our bodies and will resurrect them. God the Son redeemed our bodies and bought us at a price and we're now united with him. And God the Holy Spirit now dwells within us. Verse 19, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? It always amazes me to read those kind of verses in the Bible that God now dwells within us as his people. And Paul's saying, with that being the case, how then can you, Corinthian Christians, defile God's temple? How can you do that? Both individually and as a body of people, the church. He's saying knowing this should make a huge difference to the way that we live. So, how, how would we, or how would our behavior change if our husband or wife or close friend was with us every second of the day? 
other things we wouldn't do, other places we wouldn't go, other things we wouldn't watch. So surely knowing that God dwells within us, his presence is with us every second of the day, both individually and as a church, surely that should motivate us to live constantly holy lives for his glory. And so Paul gives us two things that he wants us to do with what he has been saying in these past two chapters. The first one is to flee from sin. Thinking back to that video, what did the man do when he saw the bear coming at him? He ran. He fled for his life. He didn't mess around with the bear because he had no chance. The bear would devour him uh, quite easily. What he did was flee from that bear. And that is what Paul is telling us to do with sin, uh, especially sexual sin, sexual immorality. Uh, run away from it. Flee. Avoid it at all costs. Don't try and negotiate. Don't try and, well, maybe a little bit. I'll be all right. Flee, Paul is saying. Run away. Don't even mess about with it. It is so serious, so strong, so dangerous that Paul says flee. Avoid it. Run away as fast as you can. Don't mess around with sin. Flee. Run away. Avoid it. John Stott her comments, true, we are also told to withstand the devil so that, we may flee, so that he may flee from us. But we are to recognize sin as something dangerous to the soul. We are not to come to terms with it or even negotiate with it. We are not to linger in its presence like Lot in Sodom. On the contrary, we are to get as far away from it as possible and as quickly as possible. Like Joseph, when Potiphar's wife attempted to, to seduce him, we are to take, our, take to our heels and run. Fleeing is not weakness, but it is maturity and strength. Whatever the cost, flee from sin. That's sort of the negative application from Paul. Here's the positive one. Honor God with your bodies. We must flee from sin, but we must also honor God with our bodies as those who are indwelt by his spirit and united with Christ. Romans 12 verse 1 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul says, therefore, honor God with your bodies. Let our whole lives be honoring to him, not just certain areas of our life, but the whole of our lives. Let us offer our bodies as living sacrifices to him 
holy and pleasing to God our Father, at home, at work, at school, at college, at our social clubs, at our sports clubs, even in our bedrooms. Let us flee from sin. Let us strive to honor our great God in all that we do, all for his praise and for his glory. Amen.